When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test, with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche, and after 22 years, Raymond Marsh! The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's gonna be sick. And welcome to another edition of the I test on the Sick Podcast Network. Jimmy Murphy and Pierre McGuire here. And Pierre, we're going to talk some Edmonton Oilers today yep. with uh, the one and only Mark Spector of Sportsnet. He's based in Edmonton, has covered the Oilers and also the Flames over his days as a journalist uh, as well. Maybe we'll get into that a bit as well. But a big game tonight, obviously, the Edmonton Oilers uh, trying to tie the record, uh, going for 17 straight wins, which yeah. would tie. The 1992-93 Pittsburgh Penguins pair that mm. I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, what What's your take on how the Oilers have done this? Well, first of all, I think they deserve a lot of credit at the management level. Jeff Jackson and Kenny Hall, and they realize it wasn't working with Coach Woodcroft there. So they make a coaching decision. They bring in Chris Knobloch. They elevate Paul Coffey from a management position to a coaching position it makes a huge difference for darnell nurse on the back end it makes a huge difference for evan bouchard and it makes a massive difference for matthias Ekholm. so their defense gets better number one number two chris knobloch has this amazing relationship with connor mcdavid from their time with the Erie otters so there's a level of trust that's built up between those two and if your best player trusts the new coach jimmy it makes it a lot easier to sell the message to the rest of the team. So sure. Dreisaitl is obviously uh, paying attention. Nugent Hopkins is paying attention. Uh, Zach Hyman's paying attention. You know, you go down the line, they're all paying attention because Connor McDavid's paying attention. Exactly. And now all of a sudden confidence is a scary thing when you got a group of players like that and they're, they're obviously a really confident team. Well, obviously they're going into Vegas tonight to take on the Golden Knights and that's where Mark will join us from in a bit here. Uh, but, Pierre, this has become a rivalry over the past few yeah. years. They're starting to really kind of build it up. They've had some meetings in the playoffs. That always helps. Um, I'm sure on the other flip side of this game tonight, the Vegas Golden Knights would love to be the ones to snap this streak. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they would. I mean, you know that Bruce Cassidy's telling them we're in this to win it, boys. And yeah. we want to get on a bit of a roll here, too, because we don't want them sneaking up on us. Yeah, And so, you know, you look at it, there's a lot to be done there uh, for Vegas, obviously, for Edmonton. I think Vancouver's probably doing handstand saying, yeah, Vegas beat them up, you know. Yep. So what I my biggest thing coming through all this after the All-Star break, Jimmy, is who's going to make the next move to try to keep up to Vancouver? Mm-hmm. Who's going to make the next move to try to keep up with Winnipeg? Because I truly believe – and we talked about this weeks ago. It's not like we're just talking about it now. I truly believe whomever makes the best trade going into the deadline or at the deadline will give themselves the best chance to win in this NHL that's so full of parity right now. There's no super elite team. They're all a lot of equal teams. 
you're right. And right now, I think we'd agree that team that has done that so far is the Vancouver Canucks. 100%. Uh, with them picking up Elias Lindholm. Uh, but you you mentioned something there about the standings there, uh, Pierre. And, you know, who would have thought a couple months ago uh, that we'd be looking right now at the Edmonton Oilers sitting in the third slot in the Pacific Division, uh, trailing the Vegas Golden Knights by five points. They're likely not going to catch the Vancouver Canucks. They'd have to reel off another 17 in a row, I think, to do that. They're at 71 points. But Vegas is sitting there at 64 in second, Edmonton at 50, 59 points. All of a sudden, I mean, if you look at it, I know that Edmonton's only three points ahead of L.A., who's in the first wild card spot, and five points ahead of St. Louis and Nashville tied for the last wild card spot. But when you look at it, if they win this game right now, they're three back. I think for the rest of the season, we could safely say that this would likely become a, a battle of jockeying for home advantage in the first round. Would you agree? Yes, and I think that's really well said. But I completely agree, Jimmy. You, you nailed it. Mm-hmm. Um, home ice is going to matter. I know a lot of older hockey people say home ice doesn't matter anymore because we have all these cookie-cutter rinks. I would see them on part of that argument. But crowd noise matters. Yep. And if you have a young goalie who hasn't proven anything in the playoffs yet, and Stuart Skinner hasn't proven anything in the playoffs yet for the Edmonton Oilers, you know, Thatcher Demko's got a way more proven track record than, you know, Stuart Skinner. Casey DeSmith has a better proven record. Aiden Hills won a Stanley Cup. So I think home ice does matter for some teams. And, you know, the one thing about Edmonton, and Mark Spector will be able to tell you about it, I've been there so much over the course of my life, it's a rabbit hockey city. And those fans are really – they're a lot like Buffalo fans, Jimmy. i got to be honest. There's not a lot of corporate tickets there. These are people – that pay their own money to go to games, and they're passionate about their team. And I think the Oilers understand that and they utilize home ice extremely well. Well, I just think back and I know it was a different arena and it was definitely louder when it was packed. The Northlands Coliseum, I get it, but I just look at it. Any Canadian team has a home advantage just because of the market and what hockey means in each of those cities. And, you know, we've got plenty of Canadian teams that could make the playoffs this year. It's great. Four out of the six are looking at it, looking like they could do it this year. Um, so I just think you add that whole element to it, and, man, you've got a hell of a home advantage. And, Pierre, you were there. Again, I'm not comparing the two buildings. I get it. There's a difference. But you were there in 06 when they played the Carolina Hurricanes, and I just mm-hmm. know watching from afar on the TV and trying to hear you speak in between the benches, I remember it. Yeah. That place was rocking, and I'm sure the same will be said uh, at the new arena as well. I can tell you this, I've done 16 finals, uh, you know, not counting the ones I did at TSN, but 16 for NBC. And the loudest interview I had was just before Edmonton, Carolina, uh, interviewing Christopher Pronger uh, mm-hmm. before the Oilers, you know, first ever or not first ever, first home game uh, in Northland. And I said to him, I said, thanks for doing this. He goes, no, it's my pleasure. It's always a big game when you and Doc Emmerich and John Davidson are here. I said, oh, thank you. And then I said, you're going to have to talk louder because I can't hear you, man. So you think about all the different finals I've had a chance to do, whether it was in Anaheim or, you know, all the different arenas, Chicago, Tampa, all these different places. Without a doubt, I'm telling you right now, that was the loudest. Uh, There you go. Edmonton was the loudest. Now, it was Northlands. It was a little different. The roof yep. was a little lower, but still, it was crazy loud. And Vegas can get loud as well. So let's 
Our man right now, Mark Spector, is in Vegas. He will be at that game. Uh, what are they calling that place now? What's the nickname? The Castle Spec? Is that what they call it? Or the, the Lair? What, how, how do they? I don't know. T-Mobile Arena is the official name. So let's <laughs> well, why don't we start with that. We'll just start with that. How you doing, Spec? Doing great, boys. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you, Mark. Really nice to see you. How's Vegas? Vegas is good. It's kind of funny. There's a, I just walked back from the rink and I saw more people wearing Oilers logos on the strip than I did see people wearing 49er or Chiefs logos. So I'm sure that's going to change as the week goes on. But uh, there's a good contingent of Edmonton people who came down to watch this game tonight. Hey, speaking of, our, our production crew is actually at Radio Row. So they're they're managing the show. They're in Vegas in the same area as you. And, um, you know, one thing I heard people talking about that are out there right now, Spec, is that because of all that media in there for the Super Bowl, there were way more, you know, requests to the Vegas Golden Knights for credentials for this game than usual. And you're just going to get a lot of, uh, you know, mainstream media that doesn't necessarily cover hockey is going to be in there. So this game is just going to have a, a playoff feel to it, not only because of the game on the ice, but also the media contingent as well. Yeah, there was, you know what, this has become a, you know, this Oilers team got beat in here by by Vegas last year. They played a six-game series with the Golden Knights, and the Oilers held the lead in every game mm-hmm. and lost in six. And part of the reason was when you come to this arena here in Vegas, I'm not sure there's a rink in the league that that – can provide a momentum swing. Like when things start going sideways for the visiting team here in Vegas, this place gets really loud and it gets really crazy. And a momentum swing that, you know, in a lot of rinks, maybe you could fend off. It's a little tougher here. And it was too tough for the orders. They cracked. They didn't just crack. They broke. And Vegas won fair and square. So part of the deal here, you know, lots of media. Sure, there'll be extra people tonight. Uh, there's going to be extra Oilers fans in the crowd tonight. It's going to be even louder. Uh, it's a fun place for a big game to be tonight, for sure. Hey, Mark, speaking of sideways, the Edmonton Oilers were sideways for the first 25 games of the season. I know they made a coaching change, actually a couple of them. Paul Coffey's on the bench now. Mm-hmm. But you're around that team a lot. What were the players thinking at the start of the year? Yeah, they were, you know, they went from, oh, don't worry, you know, we lost 8-1 on opening night. That's just a, a one-off. And then they lost another game to Vancouver. But they played pretty well. Then they beat Nashville. They said, okay, we're good now. (laughs) Then they went to Philly and got crushed. So they went from a team that was very confident to a team that got a little shaky and a team that couldn't stop the slide. You know, I think uh, Leon Dreisaitl said the other day that we kept coming to the rink saying, okay, okay, this is our night. This is the night we turn it around. And then they lay a total egg and walk out of the rink scratching their toots saying, man oh man what now so it was they'll tell you they on the outward they're like that duck that was on the looking cool on the outside and swimming hard on the underneath the water uh they were nervous man they were nervous they had some issues here they got a coaching change they got some healthy players they got some goaltending and they haven't looked back since Yep. You know, Pierre was just saying before you came on, I'm not sure if you heard him there, Spec, but he made a great point just of how improved the defense has become. And obviously a big credit to Paul Coffey back there. Um, what have you noticed about the structure in their own end since the change? Yeah, the the this is the biggest thing. Like hockey and Edmonton, guys, everybody knows this. Back to the days in the 80s when they were playing the Bruins in the Stanley Cup final. Mm-hmm. It's never been about defensive hockey in Edmonton, right? 
It's never been about, oh, you know, we're going to beat you two to one. It's never been that way here. This team has a franchise record going into this game, 14 straight games allowing two or less goals. Mm-hmm. That, that, to me, as an observer of this team for a long time, this is the first time I can tell you that they've got a team here that if you go in the third period tied 1-1, they're very comfortable. They're, they got no problem saying we're going to win a game 2-1, 3-1 on an empty netter. They've played not just the defense as such, Jimmy. There's, you know, they've been good. They've had zero injuries. They got the same six guys every night. Skinner's been fantastic. And this group of forwards that was always into gambling and always trying to beat you 5-4 instead of 2-1, they've changed their tune. They're playing a way better defensive game. This is a much, much harder Oilers team to play against today than it's ever been. I remember. Mark, how, how do you know that Skinner's going to be great in the playoffs? You don't. You know, he was. Yeah. You don't, right? You don't. He's a sophomore yeah. player, Pierre, right? He's a sophomore goalie in the National Hockey League. Now, he was a Calder Trophy uh, finalist last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his numbers this year, he had a tough start. And now he's playing for two and a half months. He's been great. So I guess I'd ask you. If this is your team and you're the coach, you're going. Are you not going with this goaltender and and waiting to see what he does in the playoffs? Unless my general manager or president of hockey operations gets me a guy that's won the Stanley Cup before. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, they're not replacing. If things stay the way it is, they're not replacing this. I I would agree with that. They're not. I would agree with that. I would agree. So their trade. Okay, so let's look at this then, right? So if they, it's not the goalie anymore, they've shored up the defense. What are the targets that you see the Oilers honing in on as we approach the deadline? What kind of players? Well, ideally what they need here, um, I think like every playoff team, they'll find a defenseman. They'll find an NHL defenseman that because someone's going to get hurt. Yeah, You know, their seventh defenseman is a young kid named Philip Broberg that's on the farm that's you know, he can play for you, but I'd rather he was my eighth defenseman going to the playoffs. I'll tell you that. Uh, you know what they need here? Last summer, they went out and got to Connor Brown as a as a top six right winger. He's been a bust. Mm. Not working. Not He hasn't been able to f- come back adequately from a torn ACL last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just hasn't helped. They need a guy that can play next to Leon Dreisaitl on the right side. What happens then is... Warren Fogle goes down a line to the third line where he probably belongs. And Corey Perry, who just joined this team, goes down a line to the fourth line. Now you got Yanmark and Perry as your fourth line wingers. I think any NHL guy would say there's a couple of veteran fourth line guys. They shouldn't be on my third line. They shouldn't be on my second line. They can play for me on my fourth line. So I tell you there, it starts probably with a, a winger, uh, hopefully a right winger for Ken Holland at the deadline. How how much uh, do you think Corey Perry is going to see power play time, Spec? Uh, zero. Second unit. The second unit here doesn't play much, boys. Oh, no, I'm aware. That's why I'm asking. You know, That's uh, why I'm asking you. Yeah, either the first unit puts it in the net or they play a minute and a half, one of the two. Right. And, you know, looking up the middle, obviously set on one and two there, but on the third line, what's been your thoughts on McLeod this year? Um, Not bad. Not bad. You know what? Okay. Would I prefer guys as a, you know, every, I just heard Pierre talk about all the Stanley Cups he's been to. I've been to a few myself and 
pretty much every Stanley Cup winner that I've covered has a third line center with that's like, you know, Guy Carboneau or Sammy Paulson or John Madden or or Philip Deneau or Craig McTavish. You know what I'm getting at, right? Yep. Veteran, solid face-off win and guy. McLeod's not that. McLeod's not that. So yeah. You know, I could see where you could. It, it, I don't know if you could find that guy and fit him in under your cap. I doubt you can, boys. I doubt no, you can. That's one in, one out. Yeah, I'm not trading McLeod away at this point because he yeah. might turn into that guy. He's a really good young player. Like you can't, yeah. can't just trade away everything. Right. So listen, it's the cap system. Everybody has an area where they're not as strong as they want to be. Mm. There's nobody that's strong and happy with all the elements of their team. I think the Oilers will end up going into the playoffs with a third-line center named Ryan McLeod and say, I wish he was Guy Carboneau. He's not, but he's good enough for what we're doing here. Did you ever think the Vancouver Canucks would be this good this year? <laughs> I sat down for dinner before the season opener in Vancouver, and all the Vancouver scribes were asking me how bad the Oilers were going to smoke them. And the, the score that night was 8-1 to one for the Canucks. <laughs> wow. And I've been wrong in the Canucks pretty much ever since, boys. So don't well, ask. Who hasn't? Me. You're, 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 you know, you're in the majority there. I mean, <laughs> what, what do you think for them? You know, you're out there. You see them a lot more than us. Uh, what has it been for them? Besides, I'd say their their coaching. I think Rick Talkett's done an amazing job yeah. there. Pierre and I rave about him a lot. But in terms of the players, what have you seen different from them this year? Well, just a uh, just production from everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, Quinn Hughes took a huge step here. I oh, mean, yeah. a huge step this year. He's going to win the Norris Trophy, okay? So that's where it starts. Uh, you've seen production. You know, Brock Besser has found a new level. He was kind of swimming around, underachieving, in my opinion, for a few years. Well, not anymore. Boom. You know, Pedersen, we've known to be a very good player. Uh, JT Miller has really stepped up and become a leader on that team. They get Hronick, the defenseman. One thing about Quinn Hughes, they got it. They always had a 25-minute defenseman in Quinn Hughes, but they were playing him with a guy who shouldn't be playing over 20 yeah. minutes, and that was killing him. While yeah. Hronick's there now, he's been able to play the same minutes as Quinn Hughes and survive him and be a good player. That helps a lot. So they got a bunch of stuff going on there, and I'm with you, man. Rick Tockett, he's, you know, he's got to get the Jack Adams this year. I can't see how he wouldn't. So, Spec, Jimmy asked you about Vancouver and the defense, and you gave a great answer. Chris Tanev was with the first partner that Quinn Hughes ever had in Vancouver. Calgary's starting this road trip in Boston. They have Noah Hannafin. They have Chris Tanev. They've already moved Elias Lindholm. When does Calgary get into full sell mode? Yeah, they got to get into it, Pierre. They got to get into it. They are. I I believe that they will sell defensemen. I'm going to ask you this, two things. If I'm running Calgary right now today and I'm looking up the highway to Edmonton, I'm looking at a team, I'm saying, I don't know what's going to happen with David and Drysaddle. I know their contracts are coming up. But assuming they sign those guys, and I think they'll sign at least one or probably both of them. I'm looking up the highway and I'm saying, I don't have a chance of beating this team in the next four five years. I agree. Right? I got a new arena coming in Calgary. They haven't even broken ground on that thing, so it's three or four years away. I'm not going to beat the orders between now and then. Why am I not totally rebuilding and getting ready to open that new building with a chance once Edmonton's getting older? Maybe I got a shot. Wouldn't you do the same thing? 
Hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. That's one of the most lucid arguments I've heard about the Calgary Flames needing to sell. And yep. what breaks my heart is you see Johnny Goudreau leave for nothing. You know the Kachuk deal was a disaster, unmitigated disaster, and they got wake up. They they can't keep making these mistakes because they're going to get blown away by Vancouver and they're going to get blown away by Edmonton. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd say to you that at the time they made that, the Trey Living made that deal with Kachuk to, uh, you know, for he got, who did he get, Uyghur and Huberdeau? Yeah. We all thought that was a pretty good trade. No, no, I, I didn't. Yeah, I, I went didn't. on the air and said that was a disaster. Yeah, yeah I thought it was an yeah. okay trade. Huberdeau's yeah. disappointed. Huberdeau's, yeah. he's I saw really him play good. a lot in Florida, I can tell you. I knew this was coming, especially okay. with Daryl coaching there. I yeah. just that was like oil and water. That just wasn't going to work. And he's well, it, he's go go ahead, spec. It didn't work. I mean, you yeah. you're if you that's what you said at the time. You were right, and I was yeah. wrong. It, I it, just it, thought that a GM under pressure to make a move with a good player like Kachuk. I thought he brought back a lot of stuff for that guy. Yeah, uh, and Goodrow kind of screwed him, guys. He he left it to the very end, made him believe yeah. he was going to stay, and then he left. I'm not a big Goodrow fan, but they could have got more than nothing for him. Hundred percent. That's what I'm saying. That's so. That's what I mean. You can't lose Noah Hannafin for nothing. You can't lose Chris Tanev for nothing. They they have to be proactive on this market. I think you agree. They're going to be. Yep, I would agree. And you know, one thing too, you guys, you made a great point there, Spec. Like Pierce said, by the time maybe that arena comes and you you do go into a rebuild, think of the and, and I know the cap's going up, so they're going to get a little more of a cushion. But still, think of the space they could build up, the cap space there to have to play with as that new arena is ushered in. That should be some perfect timing. So I, I think you're on the right track there, Spec. One thing I look at, though, with Calgary guys, and I think is, you know, we haven't heard it a lot. It's been tossed out there a bit, is Markstrom. And, like, mm-hmm. if he if he really – I don't think it's something we're going to see now before the deadline. But if he was to become available at, say, the draft, they could really reshape things with prospects and picks – and really get on that track that you said they should be on, eh? Well, I want to ask you this. If if I'm a veteran like Markstrom or Hannafin, and I see what's going on here in Calgary, assuming they are going down the road, I think we all think they're going down. And Tanev, put his name in this list too. Yep. What am I hanging around for? Yeah. Right? Why am I staying for Dude, a I agree. I'm a veteran guy. I want to win now. So, uh, listen, they have to figure out their goaltending in Calgary because Dustin Wolf who's a two-time AHL goalie of the year, becomes waiver eligible next season. So you they've got Vladar, who in everybody's eyes is a solid number two, and let's see how many games he can play. And they got this kid coming up that it's time to find out if Dustin Wolf can play. I'm I'm with you. uh, Markstrom's salary is not bad. What's he make? 6.5, I think? Yeah, he's right in there. Yeah, so – you know, it's not that bad. He's a genuine number one goalie in the National Hockey League. It's a summertime trade. There's no doubt it's a summertime trade. But if I'm Calgary, I move him. I go ahead with the two younger guys, and I get something back for him. Yep. Mark, are the fans in Calgary prepared for a rebuild like they were in New York when the Rangers sent out that letter saying, hey, we're yeah. moving everything, we're rebuilding? Are the fans in Calgary prepared for that? Yeah, I, I believe that they are. Calgary's been stuck in the murky middle for 20-some years, right? Yeah. They've been a eighth-place team. They had a couple good years. They got in the playoffs, lost to Colorado in, f- like, six and lost to Edmonton in five. Other than that, they've been a 
middle of the road, not too bad to get a good draft pick, not too good to win playoff series. I think the fans there are ready for something different than what hasn't been working since all the way back when Mika Kiprasov was one of the best goaltenders in hockey and masked a lot of problems that that team had back then. I think a Canadian market of all the – listen, there's no Red Sox here. There's no Patriots here. There's no college football team that's stealing your your advertisers and your ticket buyers here. It's a one-horse town, Calgary, just like Edmonton. So you can rebuild and still fill that rink, I guarantee you. Yeah, for sure. That's a really good point. Our our Calgary resident Calgary fan in our chat section says six million exactly on Markstrom, and yes, we're begging for that uh, rebuild. So bring it on. (laughs) There you go. There you go. How about the Edmonton fans, uh, Spec? Talk to us about. Give me a word to describe the Edmonton fans in mid-November, and a word to describe them now. (laughs) Yeah, in mid-November was absolute disbelief. (laughs) <laughs> like, I listen, Edmonton. I would say to you that of all the guys, like the three of us, and all the guys we all know around the business who get forced to pick a Stanley Cup winner in September, which I hate, but mm-hmm. we all have to do it, right? I think that Edmonton. I saw Edmonton's name as a Stanley Cup prediction, oh, yeah. as much or more than any other team in the league. I yeah. agree. So let's just say, just for fun in this conversation, the Oilers go in the season. A lot of people think they're going to win the first cup in Canada since 1993, and we're 12 games in. They're two nine and one. They're losing to San Jose, and they're tied for 32nd place. So yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> were you kidding me? People were couldn't believe their eyes. You know, yeah. uh, fire a coach, and since November 24th, they're the best team in the ho- in hockey. That's two and a half months now. Uh, they're back on track. They're you know, they're five points behind Vegas with five games in hand. So there's close yeah. to second place in the Pacific as you could be. Mm-hmm. And I think that if this thing keeps going, this club walks into the playoffs. I'm not sure you can find a team that's going to say, I want to play Edmonton. What's been the magic formula for Coach Knobloch? What's he doing different compared to Coach Woodcroft? Well, I mean, technically he's done a few little things different. Woodcroft tried to install some new things in the defensive zone that didn't suit this team and didn't work, and they backed off of those. He's done a few things. I won't bore you with the details. He's done a few things in the neutral zone that are different. Mm-hmm. But he's he's managed to calm down a team that is pretty good. They got good players here. Like this I is, agree. Look at the roster. They got a lot of good players. He's calmed down a team. He's He's found a way to... You know, he's in the right in some ways, guys, he's in the right place at the right time. Connor McDavid's 27. He's in his prime. He's the best captain today, a better captain than he's ever been. His game looks like Sid Crosby's. Okay. He's playing defense like a demon. He's battling physically. He's behind his own net fighting for pucks. He's not the old Connor McDavid that's looking to win the Art Ross and he's kind of mm-hmm. breaking out of the zone and all that. So I think the coach has got a good team. He's recognized how, and he knows what to do with it. He knows how to use it. I'm not taking credit away from Knobloch, but what he's really doing is he's getting a bunch of good players to play as well as as they have the ability to play. Mark, just before Jimmy comes to you, I have one more for you on that. How much did the relationship between Connor McDavid and Chris Knobloch from Erie play into the comfort level that McDavid's playing with right now? Yeah, they they trust each other, right? Mm -hmm. They trust each other. I'm here to tell you, the, they did, like McDavid, Drysaddle, the leaders on this team, Hyman, 
um, Ekholm, they didn't want Woodcroft fired. They were they were all a little bit sour that Jay Woodcroft got fired. It reflected poorly on them, and and they, I know because I talk to these guys every day. Yeah, that's and, why I'm asking. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. McDavid McDavid wasn't pleased. You know, he didn't come out and and you know, he's not taking a strip off Kenny Holland. Don't get me wrong, but he didn't love that. Mm -hmm. Right? It didn't look good. But you know what? They settled in. They found the new coach. They they refocused their game. And I don't think anyone's looking back now at the decision that Jeff Jackson and Ken Hall made and saying it's the wrong one. Yep. Would you and let's forget about this the superstars? Well, you might you might call them that. I don't know, but would you agree that one of Ken Holland's best moves since he's been to Edmonton is to sign Zach Hyman to that deal? Well, it's been one of the best free agent signings in you know, in hockey, I mean, you got a $5 million player that's on pace for 50 some goals. Yes. Yeah. You know, but he brings so much more. That's what I love about him. He's not just scoring. He, he brings a, a work ethic that I, from afar, it looks like the other guys are feeding off. Yeah. He's the, the dirty goal guy and yeah. a team full of guys that make, fill your highlight reel every night. He's the guy that goes in with his shovel and his work Crazy. boots and all those cliches <laughs> and scores. But you know what else he is, guys? To me, what I see is, first of all, he's a really smart guy. Like he's yes, just he a is. smart person. Yeah. Yep. And one of the things he's learned here and figured out quickly is he's playing with McDavid. So how do I maximize being McDavid's winger? And he said to me, I've spoken to you know, he talks to Connor all the time. When you do this, where do you want me? If you're going over there, where's the best place for me to be? And you guys know Pierre. You were in Pittsburgh. The the finding the right wingers for Sid Crosby's always been a problem. No, He's a hard guy to play with because yeah. you got to think the game at Sid's level, and that you know that's hard, man. Not yeah. a lot of guys. So they always find guys like Chris Kunitz, who's a smart cat, and right Brian Rust was a Jake Gensel. Jake Gensel, but not necessarily superstars, but smart guys. Well, yeah, Hyman's yeah. that smart guy with McDavid. He's figured it out. And uh, look at his stats, right? They're pretty good stats. I got to tell you guys this right now because I was on the other side of it when Hyman became available. And I would just tell you this right now. It wasn't the only team that wanted Zach Hyman. <laughs> well, I'm just going to let you know that, clearing my conscience. So not everybody in the league was actually asleep on Zach Hyman. No, Some yeah. of us actually tried to get him. Yeah. That being said, Zach Hyman was smart enough, as Speck said, Jimmy, to pick Edmonton. Yep. He chose Edmonton. He did. Yeah, that, And that's the thing people forget. It's like when John Tavares went to Toronto, he chose Toronto. Oh, yeah. When Steven Stamkos chose not to go back to Toronto and stay in Tampa, he chose to stay in Tampa. And I can tell you right now, Zach Hyman, who's a product of Toronto, chose to leave the Leafs to go to Edmonton. Yeah. Yep. He wanted to go there. Try me. We tried to get him. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> Let me ask you this too, Pierre. I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, you, you saw him play in college a lot more than most of us. Yep. What, what was he like in college? And do you see some of it now? Or has he transformed into something else? No, he was a dominant player because he could really skate. Speck touched on it perfectly. I thought he's a really smart guy. He writes mm -hmm. books. He's an author. You wow. know, he's not a dumb guy. He's a really smart guy. Wow. And he comes from a fantastic family. Um, and th this kid cares about family. He's grounded. He's highly cerebral. And th the biggest thing to me is when I watched him play in Michigan, he was first on the forecheck. 
He was first on the back check. He was the first guy to get to the net. Like all those characteristics that Mark sees every day, he was doing that for Red Barons in Michigan. Like wow. it, it, this hadn't changed at all. And that I think the, the sad part is the Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't think, measured enough of what he was about. Bingo. I just I don't I wasn't in their meetings, but I can just tell you, like that guy was never really appreciated enough in Toronto, I think. Oh, I'm so with you. I think the mistake the Leafs made was was not recognizing what they lack, mm-hmm. right? They lack all the things that Zach Hyman brings. Agreed. They should have moved out some sort of quote-unquote soft skill and kept Zach Hyman instead of saying, we got to keep all these skillful guys, and there was no money there for Hyman. Yeah. There's no money for Hyman. He, he left as a free agent. He's big, right. big mistake for the Leafs, absolutely. Well, Pierre um, Mark is spot on. I'm just telling you, Jimmy. He's yeah. Mark is so spot on on this. He always is. Pierre, Pierre, uh, Pierre and I, we said this a couple of times that you know Toronto is Edmonton East and Edmonton is Toronto West. Mm-hmm. But you look at it now, guys, and everything you're just talking about. I just was thinking about it as you were saying that Edmonton's figuring it out. That, like you just said, Spec, it's not all about skill. You have to have good skill foundation players, but you can't just load up on these like an all a semi all star team. And expect to win a Stanley Cup. It just doesn't work that way. You need role guys. You need intelligent guys. You need two-way guys. And Edmonton is starting to figure that out there. So kudos to Ken Holland uh, for getting that going there. And obviously for Nabla coming in there. So you you know what? I just want to throw one more thing at Mark. Because, Jimmy, you're talking about all these different players. Mm-hmm. The one guy that never gets enough acclaim, and I know Mark will either slam me for this or, or agree, Derek Ryan. Do most fans in the league even know Derek Ryan plays for the Edmonton Oilers? Do they even know that? <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's a quiet cat, hey? Yeah. He didn't play his first NHL game until he was 29 years old. It's yeah. an amazing story. It's unbelievable. <laughs> really cool, yeah. yeah but, so- Spec, do you agree? Like, this guy's a really useful player. He's yes, he's, he's a four- he, And I think what's working here in Edmonton is he's a fourth-line center, uh-huh. right? There's teams that would, would have to play him as their third-line center, and he probably doesn't have the wheels for that. He doesn't, doesn't have the ability. Yep. But as your 4C, he's an absolutely useful penalty killer. He's a right-shot guy, really, really smart. For those uh, hockey nerds out there, uh, he played for the University of Alberta Golden Bears for the great Claire Drake. Yeah, and Hall of know, Fame coach Claire Drake. Hall of Fame, Hockey Hall of Famer. Yep. Billy Moore's a yep. really good program from which Chris Knobloch also comes. So my point is this. When you're playing university hockey in Canada, there's a reason. Usually it's because you're frankly not good enough to play in the NHL, but you're also a smart player. Well, he's a smart, smart player who found his way to be good enough to play in the NHL, and he's a big, he's an important part of this team, and I know that Connor McDavid has told me he's a, an important part of the dressing room. He's he's doesn't talk a lot. But when he does, everybody else shuts up because when DR's handing out some knowledge, right, it comes from the right place. Jimmy, you see, it's not about analytics with Derek Ryan. It's the oh. eye test. It's the eye test that's on Derek that's Ryan. Why we have Spec on the eye test right now. Come on now. That's, right. that's why we have Spec on. Exactly. <laughs> Spec, before, before I let you go, you mentioned it earlier, you know, when we started to talk about what has been the differences under Knobloch and what they're doing, and we talked about structure, and you, you said, you know, they're winning those 2-1 games one nothing games, those tight, contested, playoff-like games. Spec, I recall a reporter 
saying that to one Leon Dreisaitl early in the season. And I remember his, <laughs> his, his Leon apologized be, uh, f- for kind of his reaction to that because let's call a spade a spade, man. You were dead on. You were right. And you deserve credit for it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't. I don't keep. I'm not trying receipts. to get you in trouble with him, but I, I, I don't keep those receipts. Like it is. Listen, I ask some dumb questions sometimes too, and I that hope people one, forget though, about them. So I don't expect to remember when it's a smart one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. You read yeah, the temperature, good. man, and you know what? I'm sure privately he'd, he'd say, "Yeah, you were right. I know." Yeah, oh yeah. Hey, he was under the gun. He was just under pressure. But that's it. Good it's stuff, man. Time, Keep it up out there. We appreciate you taking the time and uh, yep. enjoy the festive atmosphere in Vegas today with the uh, the Super Bowl crowd and the Oilers Knights. It's going to be a heck of an atmosphere. Have fun tonight. All right, boys. Thanks for having me. You got my number anytime. Thanks right. a lot, Mark. Really nice Good to see job. you. Thank you, Mark. Mark Spector joining us from Sportsnet. He's wow. covering Oilers, the Flames, seeing some Jimmy, as well. Jimmy, He's one of the that, that was that was outstandingly informative. Yeah, that's why I want to know. He just tells it. He lays it out there. Yeah, uh, you know, I was interviewed by Spec when I was coaching, and I got to know him, you know, a fair bit when I go out west. And you know, he he lays it out there. He's not afraid to, and I really respect that about him. I really as do. As long as you can back it up here, that's what Russ Conway used to tell me. But he he, he does the work. Back it up. You know, then ask yeah. the tough questions. So just that little – the reason why I brought up Derek Ryan is because the name of our show is The Eye Test. Most fans in the league don't even know who Derek Ryan is. But did you hear what Mark said? He was 29 when he played his first NHL game. Oh, he cool. played for the University of Alberta. He played for Billy Morris, who's a legendary person in Alberta hockey. He played for the great Claire Drake. So when he talks in the dressing room, all those Alberta guys – they pay attention yeah, because they know the road that Derek Ryan's had to travel to get to where he is. It's an, but so I'm back in spec up here because that just shows you, this is not a guy that just throws names. He's doing the work. He's doing the research. And I really appreciate when we have people and you did a great job getting them on. We have people like Mark on, we all get better. We all get smarter. That's what people are saying right here in our comment section, Pierre. They're all agreeing with us. And, and look, I, I love to like, He's seen so much in that that area, that that market. He's seen the ups and downs, and obviously been a lot more downs over the last yeah. twenty years. But he he keeps that and he applies it and intertwines it with the current. You know what I mean? And he does a great job of that of understanding the ebbs and flow. And he's part of that area, man. It's it, it was great to have him on. And look, I'm, I'm not trying to just butter him up there. He. He no. called it, man. He said to Drysdale, and Drysdale got ticked off the time, and I get it. They were yeah. in the middle of a huge slump. It happens. I've had it done to me, but he nailed it. He said, you guys can win these tight games. Why are you always going for these 5-4, four, 6-4 four games? They just didn't have it in their mindset, and now it's hammered in, Pierre. And it's almost as if they – like he said, McDavid enjoys more playing those type of games – than the old 6-4 game. Yeah. He he didn't always. So I didn't want to be disrespectful. He didn't always. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. I remember when Todd McClellan was coaching the Edmonton Oilers and McDavid and Drysdale were just getting their feet wet in the league. And I was doing a game in St. Louis one night. And the steam was just coming out of Todd's ears because these guys were all over the ice. Yeah. But on the wrong end of the ice, they were yeah. never back in their own zone. Now I think they're starting to appreciate a little more. You know what else I appreciate about Mark Spector on our show? the knowledge of Calgary and what's yes. actually going on there. Of the that's a different, it's a way, yeah, 
It's a way different market than Edmonton. It, it is. It's a way different. So there's way more corporate money in Calgary than there is in Edmonton. So the fans in Edmonton are a little bit more blue collar and they pay and I, they make a lot of noise. There's not as much noise in Calgary. There yeah. just, there just isn't. I'm just telling you, it's, it's two totally different markets. There's a lot of, uh, you know, free tickets from work going on there showing up in the second period. I know what you mean. Pierre, you I'll know what else I like what Mark said and sorry to cut you off, Jimmy. They're probably the most ripe of all the Canadian teams right now to do a rebuild. Yeah, because of the building situation. You know what? Spec was spot on. That's that's really good intel too, because he's right. And they haven't even broken ground yet. And like in Ottawa, I you know I follow that one close. They haven't broke ground yet in Ottawa. Yeah. Like everybody's oh the building will be ready in three years. No, it won't. You ever been to an Ottawa winter? Not a chance. Not a chance. So let, let's just calm down. And it's the same in Calgary. Yeah. You know, I know they get Chinooks that blow through Calgary in the middle of the winter, but it doesn't happen the whole winter. It's still no. cold. It's still cold. It's still cold. I'm with you. And, you know, like you talk about two markets too, Pierre. That's one thing I feel so blessed to have lived in Montreal for a little and to yeah. understood the opposite side of the Bruins-Canadians rivalry. Not only did it make me appreciate their market more, it made me appreciate hockey more. Just learning about a market like that that wasn't my own, that wasn't the one I was used to. And, and Speck does that as well. And he even delves into Vancouver too. I mean, he could talk to Canucks uh, with the best of them up there. So – well, uh, he, he nailed Ronick. He he nailed the thing what on an the, under the radar pick that, that is. Nobody he, talks about that, Pierre. No, so no, but he, he nailed that. that. So Hughes has never been the same since Tanev left, and they knew they identified internally. And this is where management and team building matters a ton. We need to get a guy that can play on the right side with Quinn Hughes. Yep. And they got a guy, and he's not a big ticket guy either. You know, he's always been a minus player just because he was on bad teams in Detroit. But now you see where he's at, and th that's a really good time. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody in Vancouver said, you know what, Tanev was really good here. Wait, another Calgary-Vancouver? Let's, let's try to get Tanev back here. <laughs> I, I could just see it. I'm just telling you. Now, I, I think there'll be other teams that will want Tanev. Like, there's, there's a perfect fit in certain marketplaces. Yeah. Hello, New York, Rangers. Hello, yeah. line one. You awesome. know, so – you know, New Jersey Devils, line two. Yeah. You know, there, there are certain teams that where Tanev fits really well. Maybe maybe Detroit. Maybe Detroit. Uh, if they think they're realistically going to be a play, which I think they have a chance to be, a playoff team. Yeah. So that's going to be – but Hannafin's the guy, Jimmy. We've been on him since we started the eye test. I'm going to see him and tonight. we're going to see him up front and personal tonight. Yep. And that's the guy. They, Calgary cannot drop the ball on that player because no. of his age, because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent, and he's not going back there. Yeah. They Let me ask you drop this. the ball. First off, two questions. You, you say potentially a Calgary-Vancouver trade again. Uh, can you remember a year in which we saw three separate trades between the same two teams? I cannot. No, I, I really – honestly, I can't. I'd have to go look, but yeah. I honestly we'll can't. Uh, and the other one, too, Pierre, is um, you, you look at Cali with Tanif right now. A lot of people I've been listening to, you know, I listen to so many different radio shows every day throughout the yeah. day as I'm writing. And a lot of people are saying that a Tanif deal would be done by now, obviously, if they could get a first-round pick. I don't know if you can get a first-round pick. Not them. a 34 without a contract. That would be really and injury history, too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I – Look at I. I'm I a big fan of the player. Comes. I don't think it's coming. I it, 
Yeah. I think they need to act now. I don't I don't say wait to the deadline. Get that done ASAP. Yeah, Get no, I think you're I think you're on to something there. I I could see a prospect and a pick. So you get two assets rather than one, and then yep. it's not going to be on the cap for you. But I, I think to say a first round pick for Christopher, I, I would be no. I think it's a reach. I, I personally wouldn't do it, and I really am enamored by the player. I'm a big fan yep. of the player. No. He's Especially the best he's player. I can tell you this right now, Jimmy. And I know fans at home don't care. He's he came out of a, a real solid Division One college hockey program at RIT. Mm-hmm. He's the best player that's ever come out of that program. Yep. And, and that's I'm just telling you, they've had a lot of useful players, not NHL guys. They've had a lot of good players. Wayne Wilson's done a tremendous job there. Before him, Bruce Delventhal did a really good job there. I'm just telling you, and even way back when Brian Mason was the coach's name that started their greatness. They had really good – I'm just telling you, they had good play. He's the best player that ever played there. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, look, let's uh, let's get to the comment section here, Pierre, because I, I got a train to catch, my friend, so we'll try and get out of here yeah. by uh, by five-ish, I'm hoping. And But let's get to the comment section right now and get some questions in. And by the way, Evan, I just want everyone – oh, and there he is with the first question. So, Evan, we're going to answer that question, but I want you to know your video question you said, it's in the queue, but because our, our – Production crew is in Vegas. It's just they got too much going on. Next week, it'll be the first question we read on Monday when they get back to their home base in Montreal. All right. So Evan says right there, put that question up again. Was it Dubis who let Hyman go? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. And uh, yeah, not a good, uh, not a good move by him. Not a good move by him again. All right. Next question. Pierre, can you talk about the importance of Duchesne for Dallas? His rival caused a resurgence of Sagan. Balance their trios, allows the veterans to play less minutes, and somehow produce more. Great observation there. Really, that's a really smart take um, on Matty Duchesne. I also think Pete DeBoer and Steve Spott know him really well, especially Pete from the Ontario Hockey League. So there's a relationship there, and there's a bond there that really helps a lot. Um, but I think the biggest thing is Jamie Benn is an amazing leader. Um, and I think when Mac comes in there, he doesn't have much of a voice in the room and he just has to follow what the top Brian Suter and Jamie Ben say. And if you, you follow those guys, you're going to be okay. But Matt makes a difference there. There's no question. That's a great point by the, by the questioner. Really good point. And, and glad he brought up Sagan there too. Sagan isn't really getting a lot of love for the resurgence he's had this year. Pierre. No, I can tell you this two years, two years ago, I spent a lot of time watching Dallas cause we were thinking about maybe doing a deal with Dallas. Uh-huh. Um, so I watched them a lot and Tyler was not the same player. This no. is two years ago. Yeah. So I give him a lot of credit. He's really worked hard to get back to where he is. And um, I think Duchesne's part of that. I think Ben's part of that. Um, I, I think Pete DeBoer's part of it. So no, it's, it's, I'm, I feel, I'm so happy for him. I, I know a lot of people in Boston got this different thing about Tyler Sagan, but can I just tell one quick story? Sure. Go when, ahead. When, when they had the bombing, at the Boston Marathon, there are a bunch of young prep school young ladies who were near the finish line. And one of them got hurt. You know, she didn't die, but she got hurt. And her favorite Boston Bruin player, Tyler Sagan. So I got a call from this man who's a friend of mine in Boston who said, look, Pierre, I know you know Tyler. Can you get him to get in touch with this young lady? She's in the hospital. And I, I called Tyler up right away, and he says, absolutely, give me your number. I gave the number, 
and Tyler got right in and blew the young lady away. She was so excited to get this call from Tyler Sagan. And it, it was amazing. And he never once said, no, not a chance. I'm not doing that. Like right away, give me the number. And he did it right away. I was really impressed. Really oh. impressed. Look, Pierre, and you mentioned, I know there's been, there were issues there in Boston. We won't even get into any of that, but it's interesting you say that. One of the, the moments where I gained a whole new respect for Tyler was that same year. All right. So it's, uh, it's after they had lost the Chicago Blackhawks in game six. And I think he had, he might've been hurt and yet he couldn't meet, meet the uh, media in the usual media availability, but they said, look, if you guys want to talk to Tyler, he'll come outside, he'll meet you outside the dressing room in about 30 minutes or something. And so some of us went back there and he comes out and he's bawling and he's, he's literally bawling. Yeah. And I'm just, okay, he's bawling because they lost the Stanley cup. And, and we, we said, Oh, you know, horrible. He goes, no, I'm, I'm not crying because we lost the Stanley Cup final. I'm crying because we couldn't finish it off for this city when they needed us most. I'm crying because we let them down. And he, because if you know, Pierre, you covered that whole playoff. Yeah. The Bruins and, of course, the Red Sox, who went on to actually finish a job and win the World Series in October that year, the Bruins and Red Sox literally took that city and put them on their shoulders. I don't know how they get through it without those two teams. You know, we always people try and think, oh, it's not really true. You overrate sports. BS. No. Sports heals. Sports yeah. heals and it unites. And that city yeah. became united around those two teams. And he could not let it go that they had not won. And I just looked, I said, no, man, you took him on a ride. Nobody was expecting that. That's all that matters. And he said, I don't know. I can't see it that way. So I saw him later in that off season. And he said, hey, thanks for saying that that time because I did some reflecting and I started to realize, you know, we did do our job. I just wish we could have given the cup to them. And that's why I was so upset. But that's a story for people that question Tyler Sagan and his heart and his desire to be there for his fans. Just remember that. Yeah. Well said, Jimmy. Well said. Yep. Good stuff. All right. Another question here. Alex Evanowski, where would the Rangers be with <laughs> – we just talked about this. Alex has been listening to our phone calls. Are you tapping our calls, Alex? Without Jonathan Quick, the guy is so underrated and underappreciated. He was probably one of the top two goalies of the 2010 to 2019 era. And he went to UMass Amherst. Uh, and, and, you know, Pierre. And Avon, and Avon Old Farms. And Avon and Old Farms. played for Nate Mid-Fairfield. So let's just, just keep going. literally said this on the phone. I, and I texted Pierre last night, too. I said, this is a great story going on. Now I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, Pierre, and it was just I know it's never gonna happen. But if you were judging on the way they're playing at the current moment, and the playoffs started tomorrow, is he your starting goalie for the Rangers? He, he might be. He might very well be. And I think the only way he wouldn't be is if Peter Laviolette just didn't have the same vibe. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah. So I. I just did Pittsburgh radio with the great Mark Madden and it's a hit we do every Tuesday and, and it's a ton of fun. Mark is so plugged in. He really, he cares about hockey a ton. Anyways, he said about Shesterkin and about quick. And I said, well, it's nice to have a one a and one B, but in this case, you don't know who one a is right now. And you don't know who one B is. You really don't. Uh, it's such a great story too. And for those that don't know, Pierre, I mean, you can explain better than me the background in this kid before he was even at UMass and the the like 
what a crazy Rangers fan he was growing up. Huge, huge Rangers fan. Dream fact, fan. He married a young lady. Her father's name is Mike Backman. Mm -hmm. And Mike was a longtime New York Ranger player. And so Matt Molson, who played at Cornell and was a great New York Islander and played around the league and in L.A., Matt Molson married the other Backman sister. So Quick is married to one daughter. Molson's married to the other. And Sean Backman's their brother-in-law. He played at Yale for Keith Elaine and played pro hockey for a while, too. Sean was a very good player. But all I can tell you is Jonathan Quick's a kid that grew up in Connecticut, played for mid-Fairfield with Cam Atkinson and Max Pacioretty, yep. pretty good players at that age. Yeah. He went to UMass Amherst, actually started his pro career, I want to say, in Trenton or Reading in the East Coast Hockey League. It was Trenton. When so he started either in Trenton or, or, or Reading. And, you know, the rest is history. I did one interview with them during the Stanley Cup run, their first cup when they beat New Jersey. And I said, Jonathan, I asked Zach Parisi about where his nice guy image comes from because he was playing for New Jersey. I said, I'm not going to ask you that. He goes, no, don't. I'm not a nice guy. He goes, I'm about winning. I said, I get that. And so I said, you know, a lot of kids grew up wanting to be Marty Bordeaux. A lot of kids grew up wanting to be Patrick Waugh. A lot of kids want to grow up and be Dominic Kashuk. What would I? What would you tell me if I said a lot of kids want to be Jonathan Quick? You know what I said to me? They're going to end up in the emergency room because they're never going to be able to play goal like I do. <laughs> it was it was priceless. Oh, and you know what? It was a foreshadow of what really was going to happen yeah. to him yeah. because of the way he played, all the injuries that he incurred over time. Is some great scouting by the Kings to get him. Oh, that's phenomenal him. scouting by the Kings. Yeah. Phenomenal. And it was Reading, by the way, Pierre. I just looked it up for you. So good okay. call. So, All right. Uh, next question. Fishing is David Savard worth a first round pick? You know, it's funny when we were talking about Tanif, that was in the back of my head. So you, you, you keep reading our mind here, Fishing. Yeah. Uh, he could I be. I think the Kings are going to expect a first round pick. Yep. I do. I think they'll yep. expect the first round pick. Doesn't mean they'll get one, but I think that's where they're going to start with David. You know, you got you got Stanley Cup pedigree from Tampa. Mm -hmm. You got, you know, back in the day when he was in Moncton, he was a Canadian major junior defenseman of the year because he got a lot of points. He doesn't do that anymore, but he can still move the puck. He can still shoot the puck. He can he's a fearless shot blocker and he's a jumbo body. He's just a jumbo body and he doesn't cost you a lot on the cap. So I could see a team coming close. I don't know if exactly you'll get a first-round pick, but I could see a team coming close. So, Pierre, you know, I was just looking up his stats right now and looking at him in his background. Well, look he at his junior there. stats. They're massive numbers. Yeah, that's what I was just going to get to. 77 points with the Moncton Wildcats yeah. in 2009-10 in 64 games, 64 helpers. Yeah. But, Pierre, I know another thing I noticed, too. Uh, you know, while he went on to, you know, win a cup with Tampa, where was he before that? And what, did he, and what did he help them do to Tampa? That was one of the biggest upsets in playoff history. So I did that. I did that series. And I'm going to tell you right now, that was John Tortorella at his finest. Oh, yeah. They were down three, nothing in game one. I'm just yep. telling you, Columbus was down three, nothing. And John Tortorella changed it all up. He said, we're not going to play passive anymore. We're going to be aggressive on the four check. We're going to pinch our defensemen down. And we're going to do one other thing. We're going to get our defensemen involved in the rush. So by being an aggressive team rather than a passive team, they made Tampa really uncomfortable. Yeah. 
and they just ran the table with Tampa after that. They did. They did. It was unbelievable. And I, I really thought at that time when that happened, John Cooper was in trouble in Tampa. I yep. really felt he was in trouble. And they gave him a little bit more of a lifeline to play with, and he took advantage of it. So I give John full marks for that. But I thought when they lost that one, I thought he was in trouble. Yeah, and you know what, though? And, and that was an example, and I love to see. We see it a lot of times in sports here. And I remember Mark Recchi telling me the same thing when they blew that lead to Philly in 2010 in the second round. Teams need moments like that. Yeah, Teams that are building towards a championship, right? Sometimes they really need to get slapped in the face. They really need just a whack to say, whoa, what was that? And and then you you realize the champions are the ones that bounce back from that. You know, the Bruins did it the following year, and then Tampa Bay went on to do it. So I, I wonder, too, and I always think about the Red Sox. When they lost, you know, Aaron Boone hits that home run, game 7, 2003. I know it's not hockey, but then they go on, they come back, they make that great comeback in 2004. I don't see them doing that if Aaron Boone doesn't hit that home run. It's just you're, you're not old enough. You're not old enough to remember Bucky Dent. So, <laughs> well, they they took a while to recover from that one. <laughs> Bucky, I, when, when Bucky Dent hit that, I was just a kid playing high school football. I just come down from Canada, New Jersey, and uh, I remember all my teammates. They were going nuts. I'm like, "What are you talking? What's why is this such a big deal? You know, the Yankees beat the Red Sox." You know? <laughs> I said, "I'm an Expos fan. I don't care about the Yankees or the Red Sox. I'm an Expos fan." <laughs> You know Bill Lee. I know we're sidetracking here, but quick, you know Bill Lee, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. He's so, an awesome he, human. Bill Lee is awesome. awesome, awesome guy. You know, to this day, he still won't shake Bucky Dent's hand. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I do. Oh. 1978. That anyhow. All right. Two more questions here. We'll yeah, that's good. But then you got to catch your train. Yep. All right, Randy Workman. Can you guys address the overview on pucks off skates in the net? Is there not a more easy way to determine whether it's a goal or not? Great call. Great question. Okay, Randy. So here, part of why this is a sensitive issue, and it's a big rule. I understand people get frustrated with it. Why they don't want players utilizing their feet to put pucks in the net is it's a safety issue. They don't want guys starting to flail away with their feet, kicking, and the goalie's exposed, and all of a sudden their skate cuts or defensemen are getting cut or somebody gets kicked in the face. So – that's part of why that rule's in place. And um, I think the league's actually done a better job of it, Jimmy. I don't know what your feeling is, but I think they've done a better job of making sure there's more of a standardized position mm-hmm. of the puck directed in by the skate. Right. But I can tell you the reason why you can't kick a puck in is for safety reasons, especially back in the day when goalies didn't wear masks. Yeah. You know, that, was, that was really dangerous. And they were on their bellies a lot and they were facing the puck, and guys bring their feet in, it can cause a problem. I st- just, it baffles me that they did it for so long without a mask. It's it's unbe- it is unbelievable. Crazy. Really, it's crazy. All right, final question of the day here. If we have one. I think that might be it. All right, I think that's it, Pierre. It's all right. That was a great job. Well, what do we got? No. Yeah, that's it. That's it, my well, friends. Spec Spec was outstanding. Mark Speck did a tremendous job. Uh, Good job by you getting him on. Um, You know, I'm really excited about startup after the all-star break. Um, Most, most of like you saw was a tight game with the Rangers last night in Colorado. Rangers come from behind and win that game. And then you see a a real tight game between the Islanders and and the Leafs. 
And, you know, the Islanders are teetering. But look at the standings and look at the points. Toronto's not exactly out of the woods yet. No, they're not. And and so, you know, these are I know they people say, oh, they'll get better. They'll get they'll go to another level. They better get there soon. Yeah. I, I want to ask you too, Pierre, just before we go. Uh, we'll do my question from Jimmy in the village here. Uh <laughs> um, let me ask you, do you think there's credence to People saying that teams that come back that had, let's say, three or more guys at the All-Star weekend are going to be flat and are going to struggle out of the gate. It, it does create a bit of a problem. I remember when we were Look in Pittsburgh. The last night. Yeah, yes. I remember when we were in Pittsburgh. I think we had six or seven guys there, plus our coach. I was there. Scotty was there. Our coaching staff was there in 92. I think we had a little bit of a downer coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's some merit to that. I really do. It's kind of like when you play the Winter Classic. Yeah. It usually takes good. five to seven days to get reacclimated. And I think Vegas went through that this year and Seattle went through it this year. They both played yep. in the Classic. It's just – it's a different kind of an element to an NHL season. So it does take you about five or six days to get out of it. And plus some of these guys are coming off like nine or ten days off here. So, of course, there's going to be rust. They're humans. So, you know, the bet. I'm just going to say this to you, and I think we talked about it off the air as well. Yeah. The best news that came out of Toronto this weekend when they announced they're going to the Olympics. Oh, it's so it was a, it was a All the other stuff was, to me, doesn't matter. Now, I know the stuff in London, Ontario is really significant. Oh, yeah. And so I think the league obviously handled it in their way legally that I think they probably have to. Yes, they can. But the, the best news, the best news item to come out of that was we're sending our best players to the Olympics. Yeah. And I think that if you were to ask Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon or Austin Matthews, you know, you go around hockey and just ask the best players. You know, you work with, with the Boston Bruins every day. You don't think Charlie McAvoy's jacked up to go to the Olympics? you know, Pierre, USA hockey in general, because let's look at it. You look at the progression of where, you know, the way the Olympics were going, they were just falling short. You know, they're always getting beat by Canada so close, but no cigar. And since then there's been so much infusion of American talent, high end skill from the States into the NHL. And they got to be sitting there being like, are you kidding me that we can't be at these Olympics right now? After everything we've been through, we're finally at that point to, to take it over the top. So they're just going to make it because some of these guys now are going to be pushing 30 a little over, but they're, they're still going to be all right. I think it's going to be a great tournament. I mean, there are going to be so many good teams there. I think the biggest question up here is, and I don't know if anyone asked it, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Have they ruled Russia out completely? Not that I'm aware of. Hopefully the war is over by then. Yeah. So that will be a real interesting thing to see if they're allowed and how that even makes it even better in terms of competition. So I got one question for you. Is Macklin Celebrini going to play for Team Canada? Yes. Oh, yeah. I know I you watched it. him like I watched him I yesterday. Uh, yes, I could see it. This you Now you see what I'm talking about? This guy's Jonathan Taves oh, with yeah. more speed. He's he, Jonathan Taves he with more that speed. Game over. He took that game over. Probably they lose that game if not for him, Pierre, because BC came back there. I mean, yeah. if you get those two goals. So well, the, B, the BC turnovers, Coach Brown's not going to be happy with the two turnovers that led yeah. to goals. Um, and, and listen, we're not going to pick on young players. 
that's why they're playing college hockey. They're not ready to play in the NHL, so they make mistakes. Goals happen in the NHL because guys make mistakes too. But I think when you look at Drew Fortescue that was drafted by the New York Rangers, a young kid playing Division One college hockey, stuff happens. Yep. He won't do that again. Like he, no, He's no going to be a, a good player going down the road. But the one thing that I would say is watching those two Beanpot games last night, and there are a lot of good players on all the teams. Celebrini was somebody to celebrate. Yes. Boom, boom. I love it. Jimmy, love it. this guy's really good. He's I've seen a lot of really good players at that age. This guy's in the same breath. Like Jeffrey B says, look at that one-timer. That's NHL quality. That was that was a beautiful. Jeffrey B is spot on. And I, look, at I, I went to, and I told you, I went to go scout him a Northeastern BU game right after the World Junior. And usually that's a tough game for guys to play. He scored a goal. He was not a, an A-level player that night, but his one-timer, the left shot on the right side, that was big time. I was sitting right on the shooting line. I was like, whoa. Yeah. He ripped that. He knew exactly where that puck was going, and he ripped it. And I same as it. last night. I love it. He's just getting started. All right. Well, thank you to Mark Spector, Sportsnet, for joining us. It was a great time. And to all our uh, viewers and uh, listeners in the comments section there, and, of course, to our production crew out in Vegas right now for Super Bowl weekend or week. Uh, and thanks to you, Pierre. And uh, I am Jimmy Murphy. This has been another edition of the Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.